0: You are listening to The Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 127. This is The Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At The Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing You should too. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I am your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. Now, this is a show dedicated to helping real people—that is you, my friend—build real wealth. So together, we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, an educator, a wealth advisor, and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro, and it is great to be with you. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the podcast today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, hey, it's great to have you back. Now, if you do listen via the um, website, bestandwealth.com, I'm getting really close to the makeover. There's gonna be a makeover to the website. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, you're gonna see a new Best in Wealth logo when the show downloads, so be be on the lookout for that. Now, today's episode is key questions for the long-term investor, but before we get to that topic of the day, I just wanted to touch base on one issue on one little thing and that thing is discipline and you know when you're on episode or have done 127 episodes about being a family steward about investing about financial planning you tend to talk about some of the same things because there are tried and true principles that we all need to hang on to and follow in order to be a family steward, in order to set ourselves up for the greatest chance for success. So if you're a longtime listener and you hear some of the same stuff, it's not because... I don't want to talk about other things. It's because there's some certain principles that we need to drive in to our brains so that we can be a disciplined investor, a disciplined family steward. You know, when I think about discipline and I've done a whole episode, I think on discipline, but I, you know, I think about it in three different ways. Okay. Being a disciplined um, person who exercises. So discipline in that discipline in, your eating habits and then discipline in your investing. And when I think about exercising and getting on a workout plan, you know you're being disciplined if you actually show up to the gym three or four times a week. It's something physical that you're doing maybe every day or at least a few times a week. You know if you're being disciplined. If you haven't gone to the gym in three weeks, you know you're not being disciplined. If you're looking to lose 10 or 15 or 50 pounds, you know you're being disciplined if you're counting your calories, if you're eating only healthy things. You know that you're falling off the wagon if you eat one too many cupcakes in a given day. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not awesome at being disciplined when it comes to working out and eating. I'm really good for a few months every year, but for a bunch of months every year, I eat one too many cupcakes. I'm looking for you to hold me accountable. Now in investing though, there aren't all of these physical activities, but there is a constant discipline when we want to be a family steward and a good investor. But it's not enough just to be disciplined three or four months out of the year. We need to be disciplined 12 months out of the year. The good news is the discipline doesn't require a lot of energy physically or it doesn't require us to abstain from the foods we love. But it does require a day in and day out mental Discipline. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. Key questions for the long term investor. If you're a short term investor, if you're looking to beat the market on a short term basis or find the next hot stock, you've tuned in to the wrong podcast. But I still think you should stick around because if you want to be successful, if you want to put your family in the greatest chance for success, I suggest you listen on. Now, these key questions all tie back to the discipline that I was talking about. If we can answer these questions correctly, we're on our way to being a disciplined investor. We're on our way to that 12 months of discipline. Now, these nine questions are going to take some unpacking. So these nine questions, I may not get through all of them during this episode. If I don't, and I don't think that I will because I tend to talk a little bit too much, well, we'll just break this up into two episodes. We'll get four or five of the questions done this week, four or five next week. And then, of course, I want to give you some answers in what you should do next based off of having the correct mindset for each of these questions. Sound fair? Sound good? All right, let's get on to question number one. And question number one is what sort of competition do I face as an investor? All right, so what sort of competition do I face as an investor? Well, a lot. The market, and I've said this many times before, is an effective information processing machine. There are millions of market participants every single day buying and selling companies. And the real-time information, everybody has information, all available information about any company that they want. It helps set the market prices. Now, this doesn't mean that the market price, that the stock price is the correct price because nobody knows the true intrinsic value. But with these millions of participants buying and selling every day, it's driving that price towards the intrinsic value. And for someone who believes in the efficient market like me and like (laughs) most scientists... Hey, it means that for me, I can say that that stock price is fair. So if I'm going to come up with my own opinion by pouring over information available about a company, I am pitting my guess or my opinion against the collective knowledge of everybody else who has bought and sold that company. The competition is stiff, think about it. There are thousands of mutual funds, thousands of exchange traded funds, thousands of hedge fund partnerships, thousands of separately managed accounts, millions of individual stock market participants. They've all had an opinion about that stock price. And now here's little old me. And I know a thing or two about the stock market. I know a thing or two about the dividend discount model and a whole host of other ways that we're supposed to look at and, and come up with whether a stock price is overpriced or underpriced. But I am pitting my knowledge up against these millions of other participants. This means competition is stiff. Trying to outguess market prices is difficult for anyone, for me, for you, for the mutual fund manager that went to Harvard and has an IQ much higher than mine, for anyone, even professional money managers. But this is good news for us, for the family steward, because rather than basing an investment strategy on trying to find companies that are priced incorrectly, we can instead rely on the information in market prices to help build portfolios. This is the efficient market theory. This is what we base our foundation on as family stewards. So what sort of competition do I face as an investor? Question number one, a lot. I believe I've done a whole episode on the efficient market theory, If that was a little confusing, certainly go back to past episodes, or better yet, go to fortressplanninggroup.com and click the button to have a quick call with either Kevin or I, and we'll explain it in more details. But we got to move on to question number two. Question number two is, what are my chances of picking an investment fund that survives or outperforms? And what I mean by an investment fund, I mean like a mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund. Most of us in 401ks have mutual fund opportunities to choose from. And quite frankly, mutual funds are a great way to diversify your portfolio. If we're looking to have many, many companies in a portfolio, rather than buying them all individually, let's buy a mutual fund that buys a whole section of the stock market. But then what are my chances of picking the right mutual fund that survives or outperforms? First, survives. I mean, we're long-term investors. Remember, these are key questions for the long-term investor. Well, if I was trying to pick a mutual fund at the beginning of 1999, what are the odds that the mutual fund would even be around at the end of 2018? And the answer is less than a 50/50 chance less than a heads or tails 42% were actually surviving the the time period meaning they went out of business and how many outperform well there were 2414 mutual funds that we would have had a choice of choosing in 1999 only 23% of them actually beat the market through 2018. Odds aren't very good. And that's in the stock market. In the bond market, only 8% actually beat the market. So what are my chances of picking a mutual fund that survives or outperforms the market? Not good not good at all. Scary, in fact. But trust me, my friends, trust me. There's good news to come for the family steward, for the disciplined family steward. We know that competition is stiff as an investor. We know that trying to find a mutual fund that outperforms or survives is difficult. So what if I choose a fund Because of strong past performance, does it mean I will do well in the future? That's question number three. If I choose a fund because of strong past performance, does it mean it will do well in the future? I mean that's mostly the information that we look at when we're choosing mutual funds in our 401k or our IRAs. What do we do? We look at past performance. That's usually all most of the information that we're given when we get our 401k paperwork. We see the year-to-date returns in the twenty or thirty funds that are available. We see the one-year returns, the three, the five, the ten, sometimes since inception, but a lot of funds haven't been around that long because well, you know, a lot of them don't survive based off a of question two. So what? that's what we do. We choose funds based on past performance. If they've done good in the past, probably a good mutual fund manager, so they'll probably do good in the future. That's the way a lot of us select mutual funds. But here's what the research shows, that if we look at the top quartile of mutual fund performance and we say okay here's the best 25 percent of the funds and how they performed the past three years how many of those funds in the top 25 percent so we have a thousand funds let's just say We look at the past three years' performance. We say, all right, we're only going to look at now the future performance of the top 25% of the funds, the 250 funds out of 1,000 that performed the best. Now, let's go three years later and look at those 250 funds again. Did all of those 250 funds end up in the top quartile again of the full 1,000 funds? No, no only 21% of them persisted. So if we're going to choose our mutual funds based on past performance and we're looking at three-year returns, we only have a 21% chance of persisting, of beating the market in the future. Mutual funds have a crazy way of reverting back to the mean. I mean, there was even a mutual fund study done years ago looking at their five-star fund performance and how it persists funds moving forward in their returns and the one-star funds. Just like past performance, I would want to pick a five-star fund over a one-star fund. But that research showed that the one-star funds actually did better in the future because these mutual funds tend to, to revert back to the mean. Outperformance a lot of times is followed up by underperformance. We might have got lucky, and now the odds have caught up with us. So answers to the key questions, the first three questions for a long-term investor. We know we got stiff competition. We know our chances of picking a mutual fund that survives or outperforms is minimal. And we know if we choose a fund based off of past strong performance, that it will not persist in the future, that very few do. So it all sounds like really bad news for the family steward who just wants to do the best for the family, wants to set themselves up for the greatest chance for success. So I'm going to go on to question number four. I still think we have time. And I think that this next question will add some positive light to our discussion so far. And question number four is, do I need to outsmart the market to be a successful investor? I mean, look at question one. There's so much stiff competition, tough to beat the market, tough to find a mutual fund that will outperform the market. But do I even have to outsmart the market to be a successful investor? And the answer is no. If you believe in the efficient market, if you believe that market prices are fair, you do not need to outsmart the market to be a successful investor. That is good news for you and me. That is good news for long-term investors. Financial markets have rewarded long-term investors. I mean, we as family stewards, we expect a positive return on the money that we invest in the stock market. And historically, the stock market and the bond market have provided growth of wealth that is more than offset inflation. So instead of fighting the markets, instead of trying to outguess which stock is going to do better, instead of trying to find that actively managed mutual fund that's going to beat the market, let the markets work for you. If I had $1 in 1926, and now I look through to the end of 2018, if I had that invested in the large-cap U.S. blend, basically the S&P 500, That $1 would be a little over $7,000 at the end of 2018 because that market has compounded by a little over 10% per year, 10.02, I think, to be exact, 10.02%. Now, I'm not giving you an actual investment. I'm just talking about the index, but 10.02%, 10%. That is an amazing return. That is amazing return that is basically available to you if you're a disciplined long-term investor. $1 to 7,000. Let me give you another little stat there. If I had $1 in 1926 and I invested it into U.S. small cap stocks, publicly traded companies, $1 turns into $20,000. Large caps, $1 to 7,000. Small caps, $1 $1 to $20,000. You know what the difference is? You know that I told you already that those large caps averaged 10% per year. Small caps are just a little over 12% per year, but the compounding of 12% over 10% is crazy because we got 7000 versus 20000 and that's going to lead into some of these other questions. And by the way, $1 in U.S. long-term government bonds turns into $142 from 1926 through 2018. U.S. Treasury bills beat inflation, but barely $1 turns to $21. And inflation, what we're always trying to fight against, $1 in 1926 is now like having today. So $14 is like the $1 in 1926. Let the markets work for you. All right, so we got through four of the nine questions. I think that's probably a good stopping point right now. I think it's probably a good stopping point because for the most part, I was giving you bad news talking about how difficult it is to choose a mutual fund, trying to find the one that survives, trying to find the one that outperforms, and not being able to use past performance as a measure to trying to find these mutual funds. And back to question number one, talking about all of the competition that we face as investors, those first three were doozies. They didn't give me a lot of hope as a family steward. Those, those first three questions, wow, jeez, I don't think that I made you guys feel any better. But until the next time we meet, I want you to think about question number four. Do I have to outsmart the market to be a successful investor? And the answer is no. The answer is no, and I'm gonna show you as we move through these other questions what we need to do if we don't need to outsmart the market. What are the things we do need to do to set our family up for the greatest chance for success? What are those things that we need to do, set ourselves up, and then stay disciplined? It all comes back to discipline, but not the kind of discipline it takes, like going to the gym three or five times a week or staying away from those cupcakes that my daughter just seems to keep making and making. Instead, we just need to keep going back to these key questions and keeping our mental discipline alive and keeping it tuned to make sure that we don't fall in one of the pits because everybody seems to want us to go into the pit. Not us. Not the family steward. Not the disciplined family steward. But guess what? That's all I have time for today. And we will dive into this next time, the other questions. So until then, guess what? I will see you on the flip side. Bye-bye, everyone.